When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to your post-game and post-season Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Cleveland Browns finished this 2022 season with a 7-10 and record after losing in Pittsburgh. Doug Maurice joined by Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, Ashley Bastock, and Irie Harris will be along later. Mary Kay, a disappointing end to a disappointing season for the Cleveland Browns. Let's start with the guy that is at the center of this all for the Browns. Deshaun Watson, 3-3 and in his six games as starting quarterback since coming back from his 11-game suspension. Took a million sacks on Sunday. Again, not much of an offensive output, and, and I have some numbers on that we'll get into later. What is your assessment of how this six-game stretch went for Deshaun Watson? And not just Deshaun Watson, but how this offense fit around him and how he fit into the Kevin Stefanski Browns offense. Well, I, I think it was uh, a learning experience. I think it is definitely a work in progress. And I think they're going to have to work very, very hard in the offseason to make sure that he has what he needs to be successful. I think he needs a couple of more receivers. I think you can't just let Amari Cooper get taken out of the game and then, you know, what else are you going to do? I think uh, he needs at least two more really good quality receivers. I would say one in the Pro Bowl caliber range. Um but I think that he needs to be really vocal and honest about what he needs, what he has seen in these six games. He's a student of the game. And I think that like he knows, he knows if, uh, you know, the play calling was well suited to him. He knows if the off offensive line is going to have issues. He knows, uh, you know, what this is supposed to look like. And so I did ask him, how vocal will you be? How much will you be part of the fix? And he plans to be a large part of it. He says he's going to stay in Cleveland and live in Cleveland year round. Um, I'm sure he'll be out and about all over the place, uh, you know, from time to time. But I think he really does plan to make Cleveland his home base so that he can put everything into this. And I think that's what's what it's going to take. Uh, I, I think they have a lot of work to do. And you're going against, uh, you know, a lot of people in the a, a lot of quarterbacks in this division and in the AFC that have been with their teams for a long time, and so it's it's going to be tough to to get up to speed. Did you sense any disappointment or frustration in the post game locker room, specifically around that? Around hey, this was the guy we were waiting for, and then when he got back, we didn't score any points with him. Was he frustrated? Uh, no, he didn't really sound too frustrated about that. I think he understands that uh, this was an opportunity for him in these final six games to get the lay of the land, to get to know his receivers a little bit, to figure out what Kevin Stefanski has in mind for him in this offense, uh, what they plan on, you know, how they plan on using him. And it's just a, you know, a fact finding mission, getting to know each other. Um, I'm leading my story with him basically saying, you know, I wasn't going to walk in here and be the NFL MVP. I think there's a sense that, you know, maybe expectations were too high for him 
after having not played for two seasons and being suspended for 11 games and being in a new offense and getting to know his receivers. Um, so I, I, there was more a sense of that than there was of frustration. Do you think expectations were too high, Mary Kay? Or do you think Deshaun Watson and this offense around him, the quarterback is the centerpiece of it, but it's not only about him, especially when he's new to the franchise and he's coming off basically a two-year layoff. Do you think this offense underachieved with him still? Whatever the expectations were, should they have been better? Well, you know, it was kind of a weird six games. I mean, you had the first game where you kind of had to throw that out the window because it was the rust bowl. And then, uh, then the saints game, I thought, you know, that was kind of weird because it was just so freezing cold out and he had so many dropped touchdown passes in that game, three dropped touchdown passes in that game. So, you know, I think it was hard to judge him off of the numbers in that game. I thought he did make strides in that game. In this game uh, that we are, you know, just closing out the, uh, the season on here, in Pittsburgh, he was under siege much of the game. I, I he had to take off, you know, running just to kind of save his own life a number of times. So I don't think the protection was there for him. I don't necessarily think, you know, it can't be that once you take Amari out of the game, you don't have any, you know, anywhere else to go. So I do think that they need a little bit more help from the pass catcher standpoint. Um, but yeah, it was just a weird kind of a weird six games. Um, But yeah, it it probably wasn't good enough. And I do think the expectations were probably too high. Seven sacks, which is part of Deshaun Watson's game, that he holds the ball because he wants to make plays. And again, there's a push and pull to all of that. I think you want him to be a playmaker, but this was a bad side of it. Sunday was like, this is what it, you didn't get the big plays that you're sort of like, well, you you took a sack there, but then you made a big play there. And they've, they've got to figure out how to make more big plays in this offense. So let's move to that, Mary Kay. You talked about what they might need to add around Deshaun Watson. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. What might they lose? Or who might not be as big of a, a, a factor on this offense a year from now? Clearly that they had some injuries on the offensive line. This offensive line had been the backbone of this entire team. Um, especially the playoff year two years ago. And in the second half of this season, this offensive line was was not that for this team. W- where do you think this offense is? Might there be guys who, who aren't back? And I want to hear more about who you're bringing in as the number two receiver because everyone loves that. Yeah, it's, that, it's hard, though, because uh, you're either going to have to trade for a guy at receiver or you're going to have to hope that one of these free agents will want to come here. Now, I think when you have Deshaun Watson throwing the football, you're going to have a number of free agents that will want to come here and play with him. And I haven't really, you know, it's hard to say at this point who that might be because you don't know who's going to resign with their team. You don't know who's going to be available, but I think they need a speedy receiver that you, you know, like a poor man's Tyreek Hill, somebody where you can get the ball into his hands uh, and he's just lightning quick and he can make plays uh, all over the field, you know, deep intermediate short routes, um, but has the speed to, uh, really strike some fear into the heart of a defense. So that's what I think they need. A couple of those guys, they have to, I think they should really listen to Deshaun's input on what he needs and what has worked for him in the past. So uh, I think that's important. I think the offensive line will pretty much return intact. I'm glad they got uh, Jack Conklin, Conklin wrap, wrapped up for their sake because uh, James Hudson really is not ready yet to go against the TJ Watts of the world. Um, and, you know, they, 
Jed Wills has to keep developing, keep coming along, keep working at it. Uh, you know, the guards are solid. Um, I don't think Kareem Hunt will be back. So, you know, they have to figure out what, what they're going to do there uh, and, you know, keep developing younger running backs. But for the most part, uh, I think if they add maybe one more good tight end and one or two really good quality receivers, I think that will really help them on offense. Yeah, the Kareem Hunt situation, Nick Chubb is is such a vital part of this offense, obviously. It's a, it's a hard thing, Mary Kay, because I think if you ask the average Browns fan, do you want more Nick Chubb in the offense? They'd say yes. And then you'd say, do you want more Kareem Hunt in the offense? I think they'd also say yes. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, you also have Deshaun Watson, and there's only one football, and there's only so many plays. The theoretical Kareem Hunt, like the maximum Kareem Hunt, what he can be, the versatility, do you play him – with Nick Chubb, do you move Kareem around? That theoretical guy, it, I think, would be missed. The actual Kareem Hunt, the way he was used and what he did this year, I think Jerome Ford could do that next year, right? Mm-hmm. It was just an odd season for, we know, I think, how good of a football player Kareem Hunt was, but he did not make much of a difference for the Browns offense this season, did he? No, he really didn't. And I don't expect him to be back. Um, so I really do think that, you know, it will be time to try to see what, uh, Jerome Ford can do. Um, and you know, they might, you know, maybe they'll add someone else. Dearness Johnson might not be back either. I talked to him in the locker room. He didn't get any opportunities, um, you know, this year either. So I think there will be changes afoot at the running back position. And at this point, I just don't see Kareem coming back. All right. Let's go defensively. We know one guy who's not going to be back. Jadavion Clowney. Mm-hmm. Who else? Where else might there be changes? Let's talk about who might not be back because I think we do want to talk about what might need to be added there. Are there any other big defensive names you could see not returning in 2023? Well, I wrote about this in my Browns Insider today that uh, one name to watch is John Johnson 3 just because of his salary. When you have anybody that is making double digit millions, you always look at those guys and wonder. Are they going to get restructured? Are they going to be moved out of here or something like that? So JJ3 has a $13.5 million cap hit for next year. I doubt they're going to want to pay him that much. So he will either uh, be a candidate for restructuring or possibly a June 1st uh, type of consideration. After June 1st, the, um, the cap hit, the cap, you know, the dead cap money goes down from like 12 million something down to 3.7 million, $5 million. And your cap savings after June 1st is more than $9 million on him. So it's one of those situations where, um, you know, they'll probably, you know, as a matter of, you know, capology and finances, take a look at him and see if it's right player, right price and what to do about it additions on this defense do they have to add at linebacker or a healthy anthony walker coming back a healthy jok coming back a healthy sioni taki taki who played well in situations this year coming back would that be enough at linebacker or do you think or would you expect them to upgrade there with outside people you know you might want to upgrade because you just don't know if everyone's going to come back as healthy as you want them to i don't even know yet if jok needs a surgery on his foot uh, I don't know if that has been determined yet, but Sione Takitaki coming off a torn ACL, uh, you know, torn pec for Jacob. So, um, and, and you might want to go a little bit bigger at linebacker too. I mean, you you found out this year that you have to uh, 
bolster that middle of your defense a little bit. So I do think that, um, you know, that that is a place to, you know, to look for a possible addition from the linebacker spot because, uh, you know, you just might want to get a bigger body in there. Defensive tackle, defensive line, like uh, this other edge rusher opposite Miles Garrett. Are, are you looking for lots of potential turnover there? You know what? I do think that they're going to have to look at a good defensive tackle. And I do think that now they probably are going to have to go out and get themselves um, a bona fide number two edge. You know, I, I just don't know that you can count on Alex Wright to be that guy for you. He didn't have, have any sacks this season. I think you need to get um, at least five or six sacks from your number two edge. You, you have to try. Uh, you have to take some pressure off of Miles Garrett. So they've got to jump into uh, the edge market to some degree. Um, I actually think a couple of, of edge rushers would be prudent for them, whether you have to trade for someone, whether you have to shell out some big bucks for someone, uh, but they've got to find some people that can help Miles get to the quarterback. All right, the staff. This wasn't good enough. What do you expect could happen with coaches and the Cleveland Browns this offseason? Well, I know they're going to take a long, hard look at Joe Woods, and they have to weigh all of the extenuating circumstances that happened on defense this season against uh, what they think falls on into his lap as what, you know, what he should have done better. You know, you have to ask yourself, did some of these players underachieve because of the philosophy of the scheme of the coaching, or did they underachieve because of their talent level? Um, Or did the defense underachieve because of all the injuries one by one? We watched all the linebackers go down. Uh, We saw that they didn't have very many, uh, you know, really, premier defensive tackles to help stop the run. Uh, So they have to figure out, you know, how much of this uh, does Joe Woods need to take the fall for? And, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I do think that there's probably a pretty decent chance that he will be gone, but maybe they sit in a room, you know, tonight and they say, Hey, let's bring in an assistant head coach slash defense and give him, you know, another pair of eyes and, you know, another, a support system for him and a, and a voice, maybe a, a, a wise old sage type of guy or something. Um, so I, I think it's just something that they're, they're going to take a long, hard look at. It seems to me that Joe Woods is probably going to be gone just from the, you know, the chatter and the vibes that you, you know, hear going around, but that's what I think tonight is for. That's what I think the next couple of days is for is for Kevin to really figure that out. Is there any possibility in your mind that the Haslams would have someone tickle their fancy and they would think about making a change with Kevin Stefanski. At this point, I just don't see that happening. I I really don't see that happening. I'd be very surprised. Uh, I mean, it it would be sort of pulling a fast one. I I don't think it's in the cards, um, but we, we must remember, I mean, we are dealing, you know, with the Haslams and they did invest $230 million in this quarterback. And if, if they determine that, you know, that they find some reason to go in a complete other direction, you know, they would have the right to do that. I don't see it happening. Uh, I don't see it happening, but you never know. Last one, Mary Kay, before we let you go, just how would you describe this, this state of the franchise right now? In some ways, this was not unexpected. Once the suspension went to 11 games, you could see it would be maybe a hard slog 
for them to make the playoffs. There was going to be rust. There's there's a lot of buts that you could throw in and say, you know what? Yet to me, it feels like this team is as a franchise is trending in the wrong direction. You know, beyond Deshaun Watson right now. Where do you think they are? And how much of this season do you think will linger into next year? Or because it was so rare with having your starting quarterback suspended for 11 games, do they just forget this thing, throw it away, and start fresh in 2023? You know what? I I think some of it is going to depend on the changes that they make on the staff in the offseason. I mean, I think they... They need some new energy. They need some kind of a new philosophy. When you've got a guy like Jadavian, you know, just running around that upset, that frustrated, that disgruntled, you know, that sort of permeates the the locker room when you have uh, a very powerful voice like that who's that unhappy. Uh, I think there are other players that are a little bit disillusioned with their roles. Um, and again, does this fall on Joe Woods? Is it because Joe Woods did not? maximize the talents of some of these other players, even, even like a JJ three, you know, I mean, JJ three played better in the Rams defense than he has here. Is it because they aren't using him in, in the way that best brings out his abilities and talents and helps him shine? Was it that way for a lot of other players as well? Uh, I, I think um, I feel like the front office is going to come to the conclusion uh, that they need some new energy uh, in, in that chair on defense to see if they cannot raise the level of talent of those guys that did, did not play as well as everyone expected them to this year. And I last, last, last one. Do you believe the way this played out with Jadavion Clowney indicates a culture issue within the Browns locker room, or is it one disgruntled veteran that does not indicate anything larger? I think for the most part, it's one disgruntled veteran. I think there are a few other players, um, you know, that, you know, weren't 100% happy with how things went with them this year. But I don't think it's necessarily anyone that is a key player in their long range plans. So I think they'll be okay from that standpoint. That's what I call her, a key player in our long-range plans here at Cleveland.com and on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. She's Mary Kay Cabot. Another great season out of you, Mary Kay. Thanks, as always, for all your hard work and insight. We'll take a quick break. We'll let you go. We'll come back with Dan, Ashley, and Irie after this on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And to kick us off here, Dan, I'm going to do an exercise that I think maybe you would do like at camp or on the first day of kindergarten, and it's going to make to be to make everyone say something nice about the Cleveland Browns before we do the stuff we usually do, which is, it's their fault, not as nice. Dan, what's a positive that the Browns can take out of this game, out of this season? Maybe someone squirted water in a player's mouth in a really effective way. I don't know. What What's something that, that the people here listening are loyal Orange and Brown Talk listeners who have been here the entire season through this entire season, that they can say, aha, Dan Lobby made me think of something good. I'm going to take the easy one. Nick Chubb is still really good. Hmm. He got the 15, uh, he got the 1500 yards. He's the only player in Brown's history, not named Jim Brown to get to 1500 yards in a season. He's still a really good running back. And we, you know, again, we saw it a little bit today with some long runs. That's a really good Steelers run defense. I think by DVOA, they were first in the league 
from like week 11 on. So that's a tough defense to run against. Nick Chubb is still really good. That's mine. I'm going to throw one in here because my daughter asked me to do this. She's a freshman in college. She did fantasy football for the first time this year. She loves Nick Chubb. She drafted Nick Chubb. She named her team the Wild Chubbs, and she won her fantasy football championship. So that is another nice thing, led by Nick Chubb. So that worked out for everybody. All right, so Nick Chubb, that's real. I was going back and listening to some old podcasts from the preseason to try to find some things. I think, Dan, you mentioned this, I think, on our live show. The Nick Chubb over-under on rushing yards was 1,125 and a half for the season. So he blew that away, and I think we all took the over. So not that it – but, like, again, that's just like an expectation level of, like, all right, this guy does this every year, but is he really going to do it every year? And it's like, no, yeah, he's going to do it every year. He is as reliable as they come. So Dan took the easy one. Dan takes the layup. Now we'll go to Irie. Irie has to shoot a foul shot now. Irie, I'm going to ask you something nice that our loyal listeners can can latch on to heading into the offseason and say, yes, Irie made me think about this, and it's a positive thing about the Browns. You know what? You you, you might, If it's a free throw, then call me Jose Calderon, one of the best free throw shooters in NBA history, because I'm giving you an easy one. The easy one is Jacoby Brissett is still a nice guy. We say that he was very praised through, through the first 11 games of the season. I'm sure a lot of critics in the beginning of the season that doubted him, but probably making the team's MVP at the end of the season. Boom. Swish. And that, that super nice guy will never take another snap as a Cleveland Brown. So hold on to it while you can. Hold tight to that foul shot. Now we'll go to Ashley, the best basketball player on the entire <laughs> In the entire company, probably, probably the best. At least among us, like yeah, that, this that makes me wanna... saying that. I haven't this seen makes... Dan free throw, but like I don't know. I feel like I could. I, I could. Be I scored. I scored six points in three years between fourth and sixth grade. Four nice. points in one game, though. By the way, that's amazing. Ooh, yeah. Let's get the film I, of that One game. time, my first CYO basketball game sidebar, I won the game. We won four to two, and I made two free throws and the only basket. Wow, she's yeah. clutch. She's I actually Bastock. She's a stretch. <laughs> she's a stretch four. She'll go down. She'll get some rebounds, but she'll also take you outside and shoot a three right in your face. Ashley, you're shooting a three here. This was a little harder. Nick Chubb and Jacoby Brissett are taken. Say something nice about the Browns. This is our. <laughs> are we this out? We're out. It's two. It's just two. So, so okay. I I will say this. Um, I'm going between two things here. Even though Nick Chubb is what I really wanted, I will say it's promising that Deshaun Watson started to find his footing. Um, I don't think it was perfect. I don't think he looked like the Deshaun Watson from 2020. But I do think these last six games were basically an extended preseason. I think he's going to look a lot better next year. I think you saw some, you know, wow-ish or wow plays from him over these last handful of games. I mean, he had a nice long run today that I think got called back uh, because of another penalty. But I do think that you are seeing sparks with Deshaun Watson. And I know patience is a virtue um, and it wasn't perfect at all. These first six games and at times did not look as good as we hoped, but I do think he still has the capability to be a top quarterback in this league. And I hope they can figure out everything else around him. 
because they sold the farm to get an extremely controversial but talented quarterback here. Okay, so you're leading me into the stats that I got, and I did not get these stats together to trigger anybody. I did not do this to start a debate. I got them out for context. That's all. Knowing that what we saw from Deshaun Watson in these six games, obviously, the past was better. The future you anticipate will be better with every fiber of your being who say it'll be better. But I got Deshaun Watson's stats through his six games, and then I did Baker Mayfield's last six games in Cleveland last year. So it's not the last six games of the season for the Browns because it's not the last game when he didn't play. And it's not the Keenum game and the Mullins game when he was hurt and didn't start right or didn't wasn't the quarterback. It's the six games that he played. So the, the, the farthest back one of those is the good game against the Bengals when it's like after the Odell thing and he came back and that was like they scored 41, I think. So that's in here. So keep that in mind. But I'm just going to run through this real quick. And I just, this is how I do now. I just go through all their drives. What, you're, what you did on a drive with that guy at quarterback for the offense. Okay. And this is what I found. So, so real quick, the six game comparison. Baker Mayfield, six games, they averaged 20.1 points per game. Deshaun Watson, 16.3 points per game. More for Baker. Both are three and three. Okay. Drives. 64 full drives for Baker Mayfield, 57 full drives for Deshaun Watson. We also understand, as Mary Kay said, it was snowy for New Orleans. There's things that happened, right? But we're just doing shorthand. This is the thing that stood out to me a little bit. Number of touchdowns, offensive touchdowns with Deshaun Watson, eight in six games. Last six games of Baker Mayfield last year, 14. That's just a comparison. Punts, 28 with Baker, 26 with Watson. It was 46% of the drives ended in punts for Watson. 44% of drives ended in punts for Mayfield. 22% ended in touchdowns for Mayfield. 14% ended in touchdowns for Watson. Both had nine field goal attempts in their drives. Baker, 11 turnovers. Deshaun, there were six turnovers plus a safety. A safety is basically like a turnover because you give up points and have to get rid of the ball. So I'm counting that as a turnover. It's not all interceptions, but it's turnovers by the offense. So more by Baker. And then they had seven times with Deshaun where they were stopped on downs. It was only two with Baker. That's like a new thing, how often they get stopped on downs. Kevin really leaned into not just going for it on fourth down this year, but failing. Really leaned hard into let's fail on fourth down. Let's make that a, a primary part of our offense. In the end, I call this theoretical points, Dan, theoretical points, because I'm giving you three points for a field goal attempt. Because it's not anyone's fault whether the stupid kicker makes it or not. I don't know. So I'm giving you that. And then I'm giving you seven points every touchdown. I don't care if you make the extra point or not. Theoretical points per drive. Baker Mayfield, 1.95. Deshaun Watson, 1.46. I'm not saying that they should keep Baker. They should have kept Baker Mayfield instead of Deshaun Watson, Dan. Here's what I'm saying. Those six games of Baker Mayfield last year, sort of made everybody say, well, that's not good enough. Well, you like you can't keep that. And they scored more points per drive, theoretical points, than they did with Deshaun Watson. That to me, Dan, is how bad this was. That if you weren't, if you didn't know Deshaun Watson's past, you would have been like, what is that? I guess he could make a couple good plays sometimes, but he got eaten alive by the Steelers today. I know it was James Hudson, whatever, but like, there, I thought, Dan, there were a significant amount of bad plays. I thought there was like a one good half 
12 halves? Do they have one, like, really good half, the second half against Washington? Am I missing a half there somewhere? So I'm not saying it's not going to be great next year. It might be. But I think this, this offense, and it's not only Deshaun, I thought this was terrible. It was bad. Yeah, just to be clear, it was clear, yeah, okay. So I I tweeted out on Saturday, because I was doing some research for my Things to Watch post, that the Browns' last offensive, the Browns' last first quarter touchdown. Do you know when it was, Doug? Do you know who scored it? Was it the Tampa Bay game? Yeah. Do you know know who scored it? Is it someone who's been released? Was it Anthony Schwartz? Yes. Uh, That's the last time the Browns scored a touchdown in the first quarter. And then coming into this game today, and I guess, uh, well, I guess they added one today. So coming into this game, they had scored one offensive touchdown in the first half with Deshaun Watson at quarterback. It was really bad in in the first quarter and first halves of games. And like today was, he he threw the two interceptions and a lot of what happened today was him sort of running around and, and making things happen, which which is great and fun. And sometimes that's going to have that's why you have a guy like this. But also, that's not real sustainable. So, and I saw a stat today. I think it was from Robert Mays. Um, I'm, I'm not going to look it up right now because that's not super exciting podcasting. But he saw he was something like 38th or 39th in EPA per dropback as the starter this year. So. It wasn't great. It was really inconsistent. There was some real there was some really good stuff. I thought there were some good throws today, even. And there were some great throws against Washington. But it was just super inconsistent over these last six games. And you know, obviously the difference between Baker and Deshaun is we kind of assume Deshaun is going to start to look like Deshaun consistently beginning next year. But you know, and we kind of knew what Baker's ceiling was. But we'll see. I mean, I don't know if that, that switch just flips. I don't know if we go through a phase where it's like, oh, maybe it's the play caller. Yeah, I mean, that's on the table if Kevin comes back, right? Like everything's under a microscope now. So, you know, I think your hope is he gets a full off season of work in, they get this playbook figured out, and he starts to look like Deshaun Watson consistently next year, not just in little flashes. Because I think flashes was the word that everybody used for Deshaun Watson, Irie. But I just, again, to be clear, it was flashes in between terrible offensive football. Like it was, this is non-functional offensive football. And I don't think it should have been this non-functional. Now, the question, like, Irie, maybe it's worthless. Like, did this, what did this six-game stretch with Deshaun Watson tell us about the Browns offense. Is it applicable to 2023 or do you throw it out, never look at it again, take nothing from it, learn nothing from it. And it's kind of like he's going to show up at minicamp or whatever and be like, Oh, Deshaun Watson's here. He's the new quarterback. I don't know who that guy was. That's kind of how I did like a Quinn Ewers came to Ohio state and played like two plays and then transferred back to Texas. This is his Quinn Ewers time. Deshaun just came here for the NIL. He just came to get a little kombucha money like Quinn Ewers did, and it didn't matter. And then now it's all new. Irie, it's all new. See, now I feel better. I talked myself into it. Is it? Do you take anything, Irie, from what you saw of this offense with Deshaun? 
I take the fact that there is a potential for a balance and a comp- complementary football amongst this unit, amongst this bunch. But at the same time, I think we saw quite a bit, definitely good, of what will be seen if he does not work off the rest fully. I mean, the fact that Baker had more touchdowns in the final six games last season compared to Watson in the final six games this season kind of tells more than just the fact that he was working off the rust. Uh, I also think in a sense that Watson is still getting used to having more than how I put it. Cause he had DeAndre Hopkins in Houston. He has Amari Cooper, you know, in in Cleveland, but he also has arguably the best running back uh, in the league. So it's also that sense of going from creating receiver options out of nothing with guys in his last season in Houston that are not even in the league anymore to guys that will be in the league for a while that span from young to old. So I take the fact that there is potential for there to be very good, you know, but there has to be in the same pitch between Watson and Stefanski. Now he's mentioned that he loves, you know, Stefanski's, uh, you know, what he does on sideline and how, you know, in his office of schemes, but it's not really looking good right now at all. Now I do want to ask this, just kind of cap it off. You might have got, you probably going to plan it just to get to this sooner. How much of Watson's struggles offensively do we contribute to the offensive line that has crazy decline throughout the, you know, towards the end of, of the season? Well, he likes to hold the ball, right, Ashley? I mean, this is part of the shot. I think like bad offensive line because plus Don, Deshaun Watson guy who likes to hold the ball because he wants to make plays, which I think is good, is was a bad combination on Sunday especially, right? But it's it's yeah. I think it's a reminder of you need a good offensive line, right? But I think we're we're on the same page with this Doug. Like I don't mind if a guy is getting sacks if it's because he's like hanging on to the ball as long as he possibly can to try to make like the wow play, right? And I just think we didn't get enough of that from him as he was getting back into the flow of playing again. And yeah, I think the offensive line, I mean, I think those guys will admit, and I hope to get into some of this with them this week or on getaway day tomorrow. I don't think they are very like happy with how they performed as a group. Like obviously everyone goes out there and tries, but they were really banged up for a lot of the year. And the same thing happened last year. And I do just, you know, kind of wonder, like, yes, it's great they have these guys locked up, but, like, we talk about tackles, right? Like, I think that's going to be a serious question with this team going forward. And, number one, like, what's Jed Wills going to end up being? And, number two, like, besides Jack Conklin, who do you got? And how are you going to help a guy like James Hudson, who we, we haven't really seen, and then he gets thrown in there? So I do think with that, when you're talking about an offensive line going through these issues – and a quarterback who is trying, trying, trying to make a chunk play happen, he's going to hold on to the ball longer. And it's just when you when you have a guy like James Hudson going up against T.J. Watt a lot of the times, or just the Steelers front, it you know, Highsmith, Hayward, whoever, it's going to be really tough for him. He's going to end up getting sacked just by nature of how he plays. But that's something I think you kind of have to learn how to – live with but counteract better when you're playing a team like the Steelers who's so good at getting the quarterbacks so like this idea Dan that like oh Deshaun Watson he came to Cleveland for Kevin Stefanski and he loved with Kevin Stefanski's up why what did we see in six games it was like oh no that Kevin really brought out the best I felt like I my impression of six games with Kevin Stefanski calling plays with Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson is he doesn't know what to do he doesn't know how to balance a good quarterback and a good running back, and he better figure it out this offseason 
but I'm not sure what anybody would point to and say, yes, because I'm not hanging this. I'm not hanging this 16.3 points per game only on Deshaun Watson. It's the whole operation. And I don't, I did not see a Kevin Stefanski that was bringing out the best of an effective run game and an effective pass game. Maybe I missed it. Yeah. I, I'm trying, like I was trying to figure out exactly like, what are they trying to accomplish today specifically? Like what were they trying to do with their game plan today um, offensively? And it was, I don't know. I don't know what the identity of this team is right now with Deshaun Watson other than, hey, you're Deshaun Watson and you're supposed to be a really good quarterback, so go be a really good quarterback for us. Which sometimes that's what you do. I'm sure the Chiefs have had plenty of times when it's like, hey, you're Patrick Mahomes. Go be Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, that's you, you've got to have consistent play calling with a purpose. You've got to have balance. You've got to have you've got to figure out a way to keep Nick Chubb involved and um, yeah, I thought they did some interesting stuff with Nick Chubb in the passing game today. We haven't seen a lot of that. So, I, you know, I thought that was interesting. But, you know, I didn't see a lot today that was super exciting from this offense outside of, oh, Deshaun has somebody on his ankles and somehow he got away and then he delivered a ball to Nick Chubb for a touchdown. Like, that's cool stuff. But, again, you've, you've got to have – that. that's not how you're going to win consistently. You, you've got to be able to use this quarterback in this system and I, I'm with you. There wasn't a lot from Kevin that really stood out to me over these six games that, that screamed, this is the dude. This, you know, this is absolutely the guy. And again, it's why you're going to open 2023. And I think just like the, the spotlight was squarely on Joe Woods this year, it's going to be on Kevin next year. If this doesn't work, there's nobody else to blame. Like it's, it's going to be Kevin either, either as the play caller or simply as the head coach. So in our pregame, our preseason live show, we all picked the AFC uh, North, no, North, North winner. And Dan and Mary Kay picked Cincinnati. Good job by you guys. Terry Pluto, you guys know Terry Pluto, right? Terry Pluto, Ashley, and I picked Baltimore, which was close. And Irie picked Cleveland. Sorry, Irie. Records. I went back and tried to find everybody's record prediction. Dan, eight and nine for you. Ashley, nine and eight for you. Terry Pluto was 10 and seven. I couldn't find Mary Kay's. I, I, I don't know where it was. The Google machine lets me down sometimes. I couldn't find mine, maybe because I don't write anymore. Maybe I said it. I think I was either eight and nine or seven and 10 because I'm kind of a negative person. So that seems like that would fit with me. I'm not sure. And I reset 11 and six. I'm not trying. It's just, you know, it's the numbers. It's 11 plus six equals 17. So here's why I'm bringing that up. Not just to say how we were wrong, but I'm very interested, Ashley, in like moving goalposts. And I don't really want to move them. And I don't want to say, you know what? In the end, did we expect too much from this crazy season? Did we expect too much for them from them when they didn't have Deshaun Watson? Did we expect too much from them when Deshaun Watson came back? Because, you know, there was some hope here. This was not viewed in the preseason as, oh, this is a lost season. Like, forget it. And by the way, wide open for the seven spot. Nobody wanted it. If this team had ever strung together three decent games the whole year, we'd be having a playoff discussion right now. You did not have to be good. The Dolphins right now are not good. They were at one point. They're not right now. They made the playoffs. 
the Browns did not have to be good to make the playoffs this year. So, Ashley, were were we wrong to ever think it? If anybody who ever thought they can be at the playoff, was it, did we put too much on this team? And we were wrong. And we sh- and the, the real answer is our expectations were too high. Or did they just have a stinky year and they threw away a chance to make the playoffs even if they were average? I think that we shouldn't move the goalposts on this. And we've talked about this before. Like, I don't think, and I know this isn't what you're saying, Doug, but like, I just want to stress it again. Like they do not get a pass because of how long Deshaun Watson was suspended. They got him knowing he was probably going to be suspended and no, they didn't know it was going to be 11 games, but I wrote today in my like quick zero story that we call them the one that goes up right after the gamer Like this game to me, and I know Dan wrote something similar, just kind of underscores how far these guys are from being like not only contenders, but like a winning organization. Because you look at the Steelers, right? They started the year two and six. They really had no consistency at quarterback. Like, so they have their own quarterback issues, obviously, not to the extent that the Browns had. Their best defensive player is out for a large chunk of time because T.J. Watt hurt his peck. And they found a way down the stretch to be playing for something in Week 18 and to go out there and look like they're trying and look cohesive. And they were the Steelers. Like, they were who we think of when we think of the Steelers. And after going 2-6, and they go 7 and I'm terrible at basic math, 7-2 and the rest of the way. After starting two and six. And you think about the Ravens too. I mean, the Ravens have had injuries and all these other issues around them. And what do they do every year? It's the same thing. And the Browns just are not on that level right now. And I think that just kind of underscores all of this. But I think they should be given the talent that they have on paper. And it's a problem when you can't figure out how to get talent on paper to translate to production in a game. And they haven't done it. And Deshaun Watson isn't going to be the thing that fixes all that. I've been saying that since like week six about he's not going to be this magical solution that solves all your problems. The problems run a lot deeper than that. I don't know how bought in guys are. I don't know how they feel about the culture here. We assume there's going to be like you and Mary Kay talked about us, you know, a decent amount probably of changes coming in the next like week or so even. So I think some stuff's going to change. I don't know if, you know, firing Joe Woods, for example, is even going to be a fix-all. I think the problems might be a little bit deeper than that with how this team was built and everything. But I don't think the expectations were too high. I think given the talent and how smart we think the people are who are running this team, they should have been able to make the playoffs. There are like three games I can think of off the top of my head that they should have (laughs) won. And they did it. Like the Jets, the Chargers, the Ravens, the um, Saints game. Like all these games, we can just sit here and name off and it's coulda, shoulda, woulda. Irie, when you think about this team, where did they fall short the most compared to what your expectations were? Was it in the 11 games with Jacoby Brissett? Was it in the six games with Deshaun? Was it offense? Was it defense? Was it coaching? Was it talent? Where where did you think they really, what was the number one thing where they fell short? It was surely the defense. I mean, I think anybody could, could say that, even without even watching, even if you only watch this team for maybe two to five minutes total this season of any game, you could still pinpoint the defense. I really felt that way, especially in the first half of the season, because when we looked 
especially in the first, like in the preseason, when speaking about this offense, it was always pinpointed or assumed that because Kobe Brissett was unknown for mobility and, you know, was the epitome of like an average quarterback, safe, short pass making, one really throw deep, that the Divas would, would, you know, carry the team at the same time offensively. The uh, Stefanski and them would maybe give more of a focus with the run game. I didn't see either of that. And it's crazy to think I was speaking about a focus on the run game when Chubb still finished uh, third in the league in total rushing yards, uh, still once again top five for like the fourth, you know, third, like the fourth time in his, in his career right now. But it was the fact that the Divas did not show up when we all felt we were supposed to. The game that I usually think about when it comes to that was, I think it was during week five when they played the Chargers, when they lost uh, by 230 to 28. Now, yes, Katie missed. I believe two field goals during that game. Yes, Jacoby did well, even though he didn't want to go into a shootout because he's not that type of quarterback. But it was the fact that the Browns allowed the Chargers, who at that point had the worst rushing attack. They had like 258 yards total on the season through the first four games to go in there and kill them. Austin Eggley had 140 total rushing yards through the first four games, and they allowed him to go off for like 173 on 16 carries. You know, he killed them every every place, anywhere possible. So that's just prime, a prime example, one of the multiple examples this season as to how that it was really the defense that fell short for this. And then especially when it came to the run game, and I'll just mention that briefly because though we spoke so much about Jacoby as that backup quarterback, I never felt that he was really treated as that backup quarterback. Not saying, And I really say that with a sense of if he's the backup that we should not be trusting, why is he still throwing the amount of times a starting quarterback would in the season? Now, he outperformed everybody. He outperformed expectations to the point where you guys were calling me, you know, Jacoby's best uh, best man at times start the season whenever he did well. But it was a sense that at the play calling was really showing red flags early on in the season. Because why are the multiple times where Jacoby, the backup quarterback, everyone says is throwing in the red zone when you have the best back in, in the league right there in your backfield? It was dur- it was moments during on early on the season where Nick is going off and he's still not giving a ball at certain times. That's why when it came to him, the rushing. 20 or more times in a single game, that was like, wow. Because the fact that even going to today, the very last game of the season, Chubb has six carries in like the first half, uh, while Derrick Henry of Tennessee had 20 total carries in the first half. It, it's just certain things that I'm not saying it's going to be Barry Sanders and go off all the time, but when you use what you have, we, we're not going to be talking about this or having certain questions or thoughts. You're not going to hear it from me, at least. I know that for sure. So that's where they, they really fill up with the 11 games. and. I was just too optimistic. Forgive me. It's kind of crazy that it feels like people are always complaining that Nick Chubb doesn't get the ball enough. He's third in the league in carries. I don't know. I think maybe our percent. But but I, like I, I think Kevin's got to get a handle on this. I think there's a lot of things Kevin's got to get a handle on this offseason. So we'll take a break and come back about things we think maybe need to change next on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All right, Dan, I don't think Joe Woods can come back because something has to change. I don't. I don't know if I want to say something's rotten at the core of the Browns, but it's stinky. Something, I don't, you guys are there. I'm not. But I'm not going to take the clowny thing as totally a one-off. And I'm not going to, and I think you add then the the timeout, even like a broken coverage again against the Steelers in the final game of the regular season. Just like enough mistakes, got enough guys not playing to their potential. I almost think, Dan, if this were the NBA, 
and I'm not saying that the Browns should trade anybody because that's not how this league works. I almost feel like if this were the NBA, there were trades happen that maybe this would be the type of situation where you just trade a good player for another good player just to freshen it up somehow, right? That I don't, not that you're tearing it down, but that you just need a change because this core has now, and it's not, it's not that big of a core, but it's like the offensive line, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, Nick Chubb, like we know who we're talking about, right? And I'm not singling anybody out, but it's not good enough, Dan. And you cannot run it back with, oh, Deshaun's here the whole time now, and have that be the only thing. I think you must have fundamental change somewhere else. And I think at the, the very least, if you're not going to sort of like trade a primary player just to make a trade, if you're not going to fire the head coach, I think that has to mean the defensive coordinator of an underachieving a defense has to go. Like I can't, I can't wrap my head around the idea of, well, you know what? If like this team needs, uh, this team needs a shakeup. I think Dan, not a blow up, but a shakeup. Do you agree they need a shakeup? I, I do. And I'm, I'm with you on Joe Woods. I, I don't think this is all Joe Woods' fault. And I think if the Browns just fire Joe Woods and are like, hey, everything's fixed, we're good, because we brought in I don't know who, then that, that's a mistake. But you also can't bring Joe Woods back and then eight games into the season for the third year in a row be like, oh, why does our defense stink again in the first half? Why is it taking so long to get this thing right? So I, I just think you've got to make that change. And Joe Woods, in, in part, becomes the fall guy, maybe partially unfairly because this defense has been better in the second half of the season. Although, just like we talked about a few years ago with Baker Mayfield when he had that great second half, and, you know, it was pointed out, I mean, Mary Kay pointed this out a lot, the, the defenses he was playing were not very good. The defenses the Browns, or the quarterbacks the Browns defense have played outside of Joe Burrow have not been very good. So you, you kind of have to grade this on a curve a little bit. So yeah, you have to make that change. And the other thing that I think is really important is, and, and I wrote this Friday night, it was always something with this defense. It was always something. It was Miles Garrett's car crash, and it was Perry and Winfrey getting suspended, and it was Davion Clowney not playing third downs and then getting benched for a series, and then Miles getting benched for a series. And like that stuff adds up. Like, it's just always something. And so I think they really need to, to find, you know, I asked Chris Kiffin on Friday, how is your player leadership been? And he gave the weirdest answer. He was like, well, we had Malik Jackson last year. And this year we had Sheldon Day and Isaac Rochelle. And I'm paraphrasing here. And Miles Garrett has, has become a really good leader, but then he crashed his car. And that kind of, he was kind of, you know, it was just weird. It was like, okay, so what you're telling me is you guys need to add some like veterans to this team and some leadership. And I think Miles has gotten better as a leader, but he's also still really young. And he came into a locker room that was 0-16. And, and it was sort of like what the 76ers had to deal with, with some guys when they put them into some bad, onto some bad teams and some bad rosters. I think Miles is growing in that area, but this team really just needs a guy that's been there and that's, I don't know, maybe won something and just kind of knows how to go into a room and set a standard. And that's hard to do because that guy has to be able to play too. 
But I, I think that has to be something they do this offseason, along with, you know, again, Joe Woods, great guy, and I don't know that this was all his fault. But I think he's got to go, too. I think those are the two. You've got to make a change there, and you just got to find somebody to put in that locker room on that defensive side of the ball that's just going to be, like, a leader. Just, this is how we do it, guys. This, this is what Cleveland Browns football looks like. That is such a dangerous phrase. Because I'll tell you what, this, right now, this is what Cleveland Browns football looks like. Ashley, I, I like your vibe checks. Like, where do you think this locker room is, right? Do you think they are frustrated? Do you sense a lack of leadership? Do you think they're, they think they're better than they are? Like, do you, or do you think they're on track and like, you know, get healthy, get the quarterback in for a year, you're good? I think it's all of the above like we kind of i i think this year we saw it really bad with this team they are front runners and guys who are good when they are doing well when there's no adversity or when they're already out of it and have nothing to play for unless it's like today and you know some of these games that that we have seen over the last two years where they have been out of it and they still manage to lose but in general yeah, it's fine that you look great when you're eliminated, but what about when it matters? Um, I'm totally with Dan. I think there is a sort of leadership void, almost, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and I do think maybe some coaching turnover will help that. Like, I was talking to Dan Singer thinking today, and I'm like, if something, like, is happening on the offense, right? Like, at the very least... They have a couple, I'll you know, single out a couple of their position coaches in Bill Callahan and Stump Mitchell, who are the guys who get singled out all the time, who I genuinely think we all believe players not only here but around the league really, really respect and listen to those guys, and they have a handle on it. I don't know who that guy is on the defensive coaching staff. I don't know if that guy is on the defensive coaching staff right now. Um, so I think that's part of it. I do think, like you said, Doug, what Jadavian Clowney felt, I don't think that exists in a vacuum. I think that is just an outward symptom of a larger problem and maybe how players feel like they're being used in Joe Woods' system and whether they like Joe Woods. Like, I don't think players are really angling for him to come back next year. Like, you you do see that in this league where if players, you know, like their coordinator and want him back, they'll say that. <laughs> we did not get that today. Um, we haven't really gotten that recently for him. And and I'm 100%, I think, a person who's like, I don't know if you should fire Woods. I really like Mary Kay's idea. I kind of share it. You know, I think you, you have to be careful when you have, like, a good minority co- coach who has gotten so far down this pipeline. If you're just going to cut ties with him, like, is there something else you can do? But I do think something has to change. Like, And there is a big leadership void, I think, on that side of the ball, especially. And I, you need a vet and you need somebody who can stop the run. And you need that like mean guy to come in and get this in check who just has a different leadership style. Because like Dan said, Miles Garrett tries, but I don't think it is enough for where they are right now. And he's had his own things happen, the car crash included that I don't know if guys are really too keen to listen to him right now and in that way. So I think there definitely needs to be some spots filled. You know, I think sometimes that has has an opportunity to be a good leader in a situation like this for a team. The head coach, maybe the head coach. 
I do, I do think sometimes if you have a locker room full of leaders then you don't need a heavy hand on the wheel, but like when stuff's falling apart, sometimes you need the parent in the front seat. If the kids are fighting in the back, the parent behind the wheel has to turn around and say, Hey, I'm going to turn around and we're going to go home. If you don't knock it off. And it didn't, Dan, didn't this team feel like that? Didn't they need to knock it off at some point? And that's why I, I'm not calling for Kevin Stefanski, but I think there's a, I have a real issue with the structure of the locker room and the type of head coach they have. And the clowny thing feels very much like the Odell thing to me. And it felt like when the Odell thing went down, there were a lot of guys in the locker room who were kind of on Odell's side. And I'm not so sure there might not be some guys on Clowney's side right now. And that's not good. This is a trend to me now. He cannot handle superstars so if you can't and then then what and those are the guys that set the tone for every part of your locker room and if they don't respect the head coach and they're your leaders where are you you're nowhere would mike tomlin have a leadership vacuum do you think how many conversations have they had in pittsburgh of like oh i don't know who's a leader on that side of the ball what what players are step mike tomlin's the leader so I'm not saying that Kevin Stefanski needs to be out, Dan, and I'm not saying he's a terrible coach. I'm saying I don't like the mix of of this front-running team and this head coach that I, from the outside, have a lot of questions about when it terms, comes to setting a culture, Dan. And, and I... Like, hey, oh, let's get like a nine-year safety who, you know, made two Super Bowls, and that'll fix. Like, I, there's a part of me, Dan, that feels like there's a lot of Band-Aids being applied here when maybe we're actually talking about the same thing, which is culture and leadership, which is job one of the guy in charge, Dan. And I'm not saying he should go, but, like, it starts with him, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it starts, he's got to set that. And he's he's got to be able to control that locker room. And you're right, the Odell thing was messy, like really messy. And and you're right that there were guys coming out, and Ashley certainly remembers this. There were guys on the defensive side of the ball that were like, "Yeah, yeah, we welcome Odell back." <laughs> yeah, of course, we want Odell to stay. And like that was not going to happen. The thing that's important now for Kevin, kind of along those lines, like my my first thought, Doug, as you're saying all that is. Well, guess what, Kevin? You got a quarterback who makes $230 million guaranteed now. This isn't your team anymore. Like you, you know, you mentioned the NBA. And in the NBA, who has, I mean, who has the power ultimately in, in the NBA? The superstars. Well, when your franchise goes out and gets a $230 million quarterback, he's running things. And if you get a month into next season and this offense stinks and he's not happy, you don't have control of the situation anymore. So he's he's got to get that figured out. This is going to be his his biggest test here. He cannot he can't come out next year and have there be questions about the offense and questions in the locker room and have it feel like guys are just sort of again, have it be a situation where it's just it's always something. And you you can't have that. And with this like the Steelers have had their own issues. But Mike Tomlin always seems to figure out a way to control it. And we all saw what happened with A.B. when he left Pittsburgh, how crazy it got with him. And I think it just speaks to how Mike Tomlin sets a culture, sets a tone, 
and this is how it's going to be. And I'm sure some listener out there is like, yeah, but what about this and this and this? And I get it. But guess what the Steelers do? They just win around all that somehow. And they just figure it out around all that stuff. I do think it's he's he's an on-paper coach. And this is an on-paper team right now. But also, I would like us to come up with a new phrase rather than on-paper because we're really a digital operation. So if we could call the Browns an on-website team or an on-podcast team and Kevin Stefanski, an on-podcast coach or an on-website coach, I think that would be better. We still deliver the plain dealer, but we're not talking on a piece of paper right now. We're talking on a podcast. Let's just kind of try to keep that in mind, see if we can bend that a little bit in the offseason. Irie, all right, we're done with this year. It's over. We're heading into 2023. What kind of faith do you have in the Cleveland Browns right now? And I do think one of the points that has come up here is, I sort of poo-pooed. I don't like why Why Deshaun Watson would say he wants to play for Kevin Stefanski. That's part of why he came here. But the fact that he did say it, obviously, to your point, Dan, is very important because Deshaun Watson's not saying like, you know what, let's get rid of Kevin right now, right? And, and I think, Dan, you make a very good point that Deshaun Watson is actually the captain of the ship right now. And I do think it's possible that when he's fully here, when he's not going to be suspended, when he's going to be the starter from day one, he does seem to be the type of guy that teammates gravitate toward. He might reset the leadership of the whole locker room on both sides of the ball, which is what franchise quarterbacks do. And if he could not fully do that while he was suspended, while the civil lawsuits were still percolating, while that was still a front of mind issue, if he couldn't fully be that, maybe he can more fully be that next year. And maybe that'll reset everything. I think that's possible that the full Deshaun Watson experience on and off the field with the caveat to everybody out there, like who, who doesn't think he should be here and that, the civil lawsuits and the allegations against him will always be part of him. It will. But I think in that locker room, they probably, for the most part, have moved on. I think it it's possible it resets everything on and off the field, and they look like a new team next year. I don't think that's off the table. But I re, whether you think that's going to happen to some degree or not, what will be, as you sit here now, as we move into the 2023 Brown season, what's your level of faith that they'll figure this out and be a very, very competitive playoff team next year. As of now, uh, on the eve after their 10th loss of the season, and it was a very underwhelming season, I'd say it's 50-50. I'm not going to be as optimistic as I was coming into the season uh, because of just like you said, we still have not fully seen the, whole, the entire Deshaun Watson experience, not even a tenth of it yet. Because of him working off the rust and getting sent into the Browns' office act within game action, there will be quite a bit of soul-searching on both sides uh, during the offseason. But then on the other side, because we've seen quite enough of the madness and weirdness of this team, there's still that, that thought of it can still somehow lead into that because they seem to be so used to the losing and waiting for something somewhere to to mess up whatever mojo they have during the game. And especially if they don't work into finding, as as we mentioned earlier, uh, some older players, some veterans, you know, within the offseason, that will definitely be detrimental to this team because it's one thing to uh, invest in the younger players and expect them to be able to become these leaders overnight. It's another thing to get actual veterans who – whether they're they're former pro bowlers or have stayed in the league on ten day contracts, per se, that they still find a way to be in that glue within the locker room after having seen it all in the league. 
and be able to pass on the wisdom and everything to the young guys. So it's 50 50 because we see the potential of this team on both sides, obviously defensively. Hopefully, I can mention special teams too. Uh, we, we've just seen too much of them right now to know that they can defer to waiting for their game and their season to be over. Actually, I want I want your faith evaluation heading into this offseason. But also, I I think wonder more about the baseline of talent on this team more now than I did for almost any part of the last two years. And it's odd because it's like, you know, Nick Chubb is great. And you know, Miles Garrett is great. And this offensive line when it's healthy, but it's not just linebacker. And it's, it's not just defensive tackle, Ashley. It's just, it, it feels like maybe it just doesn't fit together as well as you thought. Or maybe there's just a whole lot of guys who are 70% as good as you thought they were. And when you start doing that across the whole team, it, lowers the level of the whole thing. What's your faith, but also what's your talent evaluation of this team as we head into this offseason? I mean, it's tough because I do think there are guys, and I mean, it. like you said, it's not just the defensive tackle and the linebackers, for example, right? But, like, who knows? Their safety room could look totally different when we get back here next year. Like, I assume Grant Dulpit has maybe played well enough down the stretch here that, that he's safe, but... We know, like, JJ3, after June 1st, if they cut or trade him, that cap hit becomes a lot less, right? Um, Defensive tackle, I think they skimped on because analytics told them to. And, like, you and I, Doug, we thought that was smart in real time as they did that. And it's not because this league adapts really quickly. So I think you definitely – these guys like Jordan Elliott that we heard a lot about, Tommy Togiai in preseason and training camp, they just haven't developed the way you thought – um, at linebacker, Jacob Phillips, like, yeah, his injury was a big one, but he wasn't playing good when he went down. And I think that was a guy who they expected to come in and take a starting role this year. And he just didn't do it in training camp to the point that Anthony Walker, who was injured for a lot of training camp, like forced their hand essentially. And now you're to a point where I think you have to bring him back for at least another year, because if you lose him, I don't know who's going to be a leader, like a vocal leader on that side of the ball. Um, Offensively, you know, I think David Njoku, like, yes, he got that extension and we saw flashes from him too, but you need more offensive consistency between him and Deshaun Watson. I think the running back room is probably going to look a lot different next year, but I don't think they really used Kareem Hunt correctly. I think it's really unfortunate that this is probably how his time in Cleveland is ending because I think he would look really nice alongside Deshaun Watson. Um, So it's not only like the play calling and stuff like that. I do think like there are a lot of personnel questions that we didn't have coming into the 2022 season that we kind of now have at at the offensive line. Again, Jed Wills, who knows what's going to happen with Jed Wills, his fifth year options coming up. We don't know how they really, you know, he hasn't been, I don't think what anyone hoped he would be when he came here and switched over to the other side of the line. Um, so I, I don't know the talent, like, I know that's kind of bleak, but I think a lot of these guys are, I don't know, to take it back to Baker, maybe field. And I don't think a lot of them didn't develop how the Browns hoped. And now it kind of calls into question the whole thing, right. And the whole draft strategies and all of that stuff with team building. So I think it's a lot bleaker than it was this time a year ago. Um, and I think things are going to get better because I think Deshaun Watson's going to get better. But again, I don't know what this team's ceiling is. I think they need to do a lot of soul searching this offseason. I certainly, Dan, am, am more shaken like right now. 
I'm more down on this team because it's so fresh, right? And because I just think beyond the Deshaun Watson thing, I am very surprised how many holes were poked in basically everything the Browns believe in. From Andrew Barry to Kevin Stefanski to the offensive line to everything about the defense. So when you look, Dan, at Deshaun Watson, and we talked about Deshaun Watson as a franchise quarterback, as a Super Bowl quarterback, right? We didn't make the Super Bowl with the Texans. They had two winning years, two good years with the Texans, right? I think they had an 11-win year and a 10-win year. They won one playoff game. And I'm not saying that's Deshaun Watson's fault, but why did that happen? Well, it's because the rest of the team wasn't good enough. But guess what? They had DeAndre Hopkins. They had J.J. Watt, who I guess was maybe coming down a little bit from his peak, but was still there, right? They had, I guess, is Nick Chubb's really good? I don't know. DeAndre Hopkins, would he be the best off, like, at his in his prime, would he be the best offensive player on this team right now? Maybe, right? I don't know, Dan. Like, I am now at the point of, what if they're the Texans? What if they paid $230 million to go 10 and 7 and win a playoff game every other year? And what made us, he never has been a Super Bowl quarterback. He never has been. That's not a shot at him. But he wasn't on teams good enough to make the Super Bowl. Why do we think this is a team good enough to make the Super Bowl? The way this season went, the way this season was coached, the way a lot of players on this team underperformed. I don't know, Dan. I don't think there's, I'm very curious if there's going to be a whole bunch of 13 and four predictions for the Cleveland Browns in 2023. Cause at the moment, I just might think of them as the Houston Texans North. What do you think? When you were talking about the talent on this team, I, I had to go find this Amari Cooper quote. Um, because one of the themes when they got eliminated from the playoffs is, hey, you guys are really talented. Shouldn't you be in the playoffs? So Amari Cooper gets asked that. And kind of in his Amari Cooper way, he kind of thought for a second, he said, every team is talented. It's kind of a difficult question to answer because I don't think talent necessarily gets you in the playoffs. And I think that's interesting because I've been thinking about that. Like we spend, we get in a bubble covering this team because it's what we do. We think about every single day and you get into the off season and you just think about this team constantly. And it's like, oh, Miles Garrett, it's really awesome. And Denzel Ward, when he's healthy, he's really good. And Jack Conklin is one of the best right tackles in the league when he's healthy. You just go through these individual guys. But I bet you could pick some other random team and be like, oh, they have a good edge rusher. They got a good guard. They've got some good tech. Like, you could find talent on most teams. Not not every team, obviously. There's some teams. Like, I bet there's not a lot of talent you can find on the Houston Texans this year. But most of the teams who are, like, middle of the league and better, you can kind of go through and say, oh, there's, like, six to ten pretty good players on that team. Is there a Miles Garrett on that team? No, but there's, like, a bunch of really good players on that team. So I, I just think they're... I'm kind of with Amari on this. I think there's more to it. You have some really talented guys, but there's got to be something more. Now, another piece of that is, why did you go get a quarterback? Why did you go spend $230 million in three draft picks to get a quarterback? Because the one thing that every team doesn't have is a quarterback who can be that good. And we we think Deshaun Watson can be at that level of, I think Patrick Mahomes is in a world by himself. I hate to even mention him. But we think he can be at that level of Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, um, 
Justin Herbert. I don't know if Justin Herbert has earned his way into that class yet, but I think talent-wise, he's there. We think Deshaun Watson can be that type of difference-making quarterback, where when Mary Kay made her pick the other day and said, I think the Browns will win because they have Deshaun Watson, that's, that's why you go get that guy. And, that, and that's a big piece of this. So I think most people thought when the Browns brought in Deshaun Watson, they were bringing him in to turn a playoff team into a Super Bowl team. And at the moment, I'm more inclined to believe he might be able to turn an average team into a playoff team. So welcome to 10-7 and seven and winning a playoff game every one or two years. The Deshaun Watson decision by the Browns to bring in that player and bring in all the issues, all the accusations, all the legal ramifications, all the controversy, that was a decision that made some people lose faith in the Browns. I think almost everything else they did this season caused people to lose faith in the Browns in almost every other aspect of the organization beyond the decision-making of whether to bring in this particular player for $230 million. That's getting the best out of your defense. That's play calling on offense. That's culture in the locker room. That's winning, uh, building a winning roster. There was a time when we thought, oh, what's the big issue with the Browns? Oh, this Deshaun Watson thing, pretty controversial. Now it's just one thing on the list because everything about this team is in question. It's over. We got a whole offseason ahead. We'll be talking about it. We'll be breaking it down. You can read it at cleveland.com slash Browns. We certainly hope you stay subscribed to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Great time in the offseason to be a Browns insider because stuff sort of falls away, but then it's like analysis, breaking news, like all kinds of insight that maybe it's not as front of mind. So then you want to stay up with it. So sometimes I think it's even more valuable valuable to be an insider in the offseason than during the season. If you want to be that Get texts, get an extra newsletter every day. You can go to cleveland.com slash Browns and click on the blue banner. Thanks to Mary Kay Cabot joining us earlier in the show. Thanks to Ashley Bastock, to Irie Harris, and to Dan Lobby. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was for the 2022 football season. For now, we're going to do more like, there'll be a show like tomorrow. But for now, it was the last game. So that's the last Orange and Brown Talk podcast of the 2022 football season.